Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Flushing is Burning. My name is Christian Romo, and with me, as always, is Grace Carbone. Grace, how you doing? I'm a little tired, but I'm okay. Uh, I'm a little tired of watching the Mets, yeah. to be honest. Uh, I don't exactly know whether winning a series in Seattle is exactly what they should be doing, but also there just doesn't seem to be that big of Mets news or that big of baseball news over the past week. So we're going to hit a little speed round and hit a few topics, no more than one minute per topic. You ready to get started? Yeah. Why is DJ Stewart hitting everything? I think we're witnessing like a career month. And a half. He, yeah, yeah. He's I, I I had the take that I want I want Rafael Ortega as the fourth outfielder uh for the Mets in twenty twenty four. I don't know if DJ Stewart heard that, but if he did, he probably took that personally. Yeah, I mean I think he's playing for a nice one year contract next year somewhere. I Again, like I said last time, hope it isn't here because I hope the Mets aim higher, but good for him. I'm still a little bearish on his outfield defense. I know that Gary Cohen really, really wants me to believe that he's getting better with every appearance out in right field, but he still runs like a fullback. I, I know he tries, but I, I don't I don't know if his defense plays well enough. We also spent like three years trying to believe ourselves to Dom Smith being a good outfielder. So I don't think that belief is really going to help here. Hey, Lucas Duda made a World Series team in right field. Yeah, and they lost that World Series. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) but I I don't want to dwell on this again. Uh, Pete Alonso hit his 40th and 41st home runs, which is a mark that we expected of him. But I think there was a Joe DeMaio tweet that showed that Pete Alonso has three 40 home run seasons for the Mets, which is just as many as the entirety of the franchise has combined in their 60 plus year history. 
you heard it here first. Pete Alonzo, good at baseball. Yes, I, I think we're the first ones to discover that. And not surprisingly, these Pete Alonso trade rumors, which have been, you know, bubbling for the last few months, really came to a head this past week, so much so that it appears as if a few New York Mets have gone to the office of Steve Cohen saying that they want Alonzo back. And I don't know what to make of this story whatsoever. It seems to be a lot of smoke, but I, do you have anything to make of this? I think other people have said this as well. This kind of feels like um, knowing the team that was the heaviest in contention for Pete at the, the deadline kind of feels like it might be a bit of um, anger from the Brewers side over what may or may not occur with David Stearns in the postseason. I don't, I don't think they trade him just because, like so many first basemen, power-hitting first basemen, he offers more uh, value to the f team that he's with currently than any other team. I don't think he gets traded. If he does, it'll suck, but I genuinely don't think it happens. I don't either. Incidentally, I'm not, I'm not opposed to a Pete Alonso trade if the return package is great enough. I, I just doubt that that happens considering like how valuable a power hitting first baseman who doesn't really do much else is to the rest of major league baseball. Yeah. It's, it's, I think I, I am about, I'm pretty convinced and I have nothing to back this up, but I'm pretty convinced that, they probably work out a, an extension with him this offseason, and it might be a case where they know what number he wants, and they're just waiting until they get whoever the president of baseball operations will be come this offseason, David Stearns, and it's an easy first win for them. Speaking of an easy first win, Ronnie Medicio did not hit a home run in his first major league plate appearance like Brett Beatty did, but he got pretty close. He hit a ball 116 miles an hour. It was the hardest hit ball by any Met this season. What did you make of Ronnie Mauricio's debut? Um, I, I love seeing, I love that his family was there. I think it's so fun to see them react to it. I think there are, and we've known this for years, clear flaws to his game. But if Ronnie Mauricio is going to do anything, it's hit the ball as hard as humanly possible when he actually does make contact. Here's the other thing I noticed about Ronnie Mauricio. He looks really good as a baseball player, but he also looks really good. I don't remember him being this drippy in spring training. He has the green braids. He has the chains. Like He is coming for Drew Smith's drippiest <laughs> Met crown. He, there was a shot of him at, at the plate during, I think, yesterday's game. I watched like half of yesterday's game. And... It was like a close-up shot on his face, so you really only saw like it, the side profile really close up. And the way his beard looked, uh, and like the earrings and everything, part of me was like, did Starling Marte return and I just didn't notice? Like, I was sh shocked. It, again, he did not, I did not remember him looking like this. Ronnie Mauricio being up means that all of the baby Mets are currently on the 26, 27. Are we at 27 now? Because it's September. Anyway. 28, They're all... Ah, oh, 28. They are all up on the roster now. This is the culmination of everything we asked for. How does it feel? Uh, it's fun for a team that's, um, you know, not going anywhere. It's fun to see them all playing in together. And obviously they're happy about it. Um, 
I don't know how many actually good major leaguers are in this group, like like consistent day to day good level major leaguers, but uh, it's fun. It's fun to watch. Yeah, uh, I suspect it's a bit more fun to watch for the average Mets fan than seeing Rafael Ortega and uh, I mean, I mean, DJ Stewart's become a cult hero at this point. But yeah, these these are the fun names that we are all expecting. But uh, speaking of the baby Mets, Francisco Alvarez has been stuck on 21 home runs for a pretty long time. And it's it's kind of funny because like that 21 home run mark independent of context is still really impressive for the record. It's just as many home runs as Sean Murphy has hit for the Braves. And a lot of people suspect that Sean Murphy is the most valuable catcher in the National League this season. But for someone who hit 20 rather quickly and who everyone expected to break Johnny Bench's under 21 catching home run mark, uh, it's, it's a bit of a disappointment, don't you think? Yeah, I think I think there's a twofold reason for this, which is one that he's um I think he's probably fatigued. It, this is a longer season than he's ever had to play. He's play he played a lot the first however many months of the season and then because he's fatigued, they're playing Omar Narvaez more, which means he gets less plate appearances to be able to hit more home runs and he's tired so he's not hitting with as much power. I think that there's I think 21, like you said, is still impressive. The 26 was fun, and hey, we don't know. Maybe he gets a second win. Five, six home runs over the last month of the season isn't inconceivable. Um, but yeah, I mean, even 21 home runs, that's a that's a win for him. By the way, I had this weird dream a couple nights ago that Alvarez got hurt and Narvaez got hurt, and the Mets' emergency catcher was Mark Vientos. <laughs> and I, I don't exactly know how you would pull that off, considering how much difficulty he has playing third base but uh i mean i don't know who the Mets emergency catcher would be if luis kiarme is still hurt i think i know that he's tried to convince them to do to let him be the emergency catcher uh weirdly i think it's jeff mcneil oh that's a good shout <laughs> yeah he's talked about how he wants to play all nine positions in his season that's a good shout yeah anyway uh carlos carrasco was waived by the mets uh last week he was not picked up by any major league team, which means he stays in the Mets organization. Um, I I don't know. I like I I think the question I have with this is kind of just one of personal interest, which is if you're like an old player on a major league team and you got waived but not picked up, are you hurt? by the idea that like no other team wants to pick up your contract or are you relieved that you don't have to uproot yourself and go to another club? I mean, it's probably both, you know, it's Carlos Carrasco, even though he hasn't been good this year, wants to go to a team where he can, you know, the, the ultimate goal of any major leaguers to win a championship and to be picked up on waivers is by a team looking to win a championship uh, conceivably. Um, so that probably stings, but yeah, I mean, he's got, he had a, a month left on his contract. It would really suck to have to then uproot yourself from a team you've been with for three years at this point. You've set down roots here in New York to have to uproot yourself to go to Tampa Bay or wherever for a month. I think you're right. I, I also think that there is, if there's any player in baseball that might be motivated by things other than money or other than winning or competitiveness, it might be Carlos Carrasco, considering all the life experience he's had. However, he still is a high-level athlete, and I think you're right that he probably would begrudgingly accept a move to Houston, Tampa, Texas, wherever 
uh, anyone needs, a, you know, another starting pitcher. Yeah, it just it's it's been a bad year for him, and you you feel bad because he seems like a genuinely great guy. It's also been a bad year for Jeff McNeil, who seems to be turning it around at the plate. He's not the world beater he was last year, but he's sort of hitting like Jeff McNeil knows how to hit. I am genuinely curious on everything that's happened with this team this year because, you know, it wouldn't have been inconceivable for Jeff McNeil at age, however old he is, 32, 33, to just be on the downswing. And it's possible that he is and he's back to hitting, but he's just never going to be the the triple crown winner he was, or the not triple crown, the hit, hitting title winner he was last year. Um, but between him and Alonzo and Lindor, what the hell happened for the first four months of the season? Jeff McNeil still provides a decent amount of value for this team. He's up to a 99 WRC plus, so an average major league hitter, which is not what you signed Jeff McNeil for. But because he has such positional versatility, he also has two F4, which like, I mean, if that's the fifth or sixth highest paid player on your team, yeah, that's that's pretty valuable. Yeah, they're not actually paying him that much when you look at that deal. You know, he's signed to be a decent major leaguer. And if he's, if he can even hit, 270 280 which i think is when you're hitting you know 326 one season if you if you're down for the next two years is 270 you'd take it it's not bad 270 great you know and it's he's like you said it's a lot of positional versatility he's played every position now either than uh, other than pitcher and catcher it's he's an incredible guy to watch in the field uh, someone who's making more money than Jeff McNeil for less production, no fault of his own, obviously, is Edwin Diaz, who has been rumored to want to make his return on the mound before the season ends, a la Noah Syndergaard. I, eh, I, I don't exactly know how to feel about this. On the one hand, I think, yeah, okay, fine, pitcher's pitch. If, if he feels good enough and the Mets feel good enough to put him out there, I don't see a reason why not to. But I also know that, you know, pitching in an exhibition series before the season started kind of put him in this position in the first place. How how would you feel about a, a very quick Edwin Diaz return? So you bring up Noah Syndergaard, and I think the situations there are different as well because Noah Syndergaard was coming back and then he was going to immediately become a free agent. Edwin Diaz has, what, four more years on this deal I get why Edwin Diaz would want to return to pitching. It's it's he's a high level athlete and he wants to get back to doing what he loves. But at the same time, yeah, I don't really think he should be pushing himself to make it back to the mound in a season that is clearly lost, no matter how many DJ Stewart home runs we hit. Yeah, um, I I agree. Um, ultimately, I I think I will verge on the side of someone knowing their body better than I do. But there's also that cautious Mets fan in me that's like, well, the Mets success next season kind of hinges on a good bullpen and Edwin Diaz like makes or breaks that. Uh, speaking of returning, uh, Sterling Marte is said to be on the come up and might want to return before the season ends. DJ Stewart is currently occupying his position in right field. But what would you think about a Sterling Marte return? I would welcome it. Um, I know that the the reports that also came out with this is that if he doesn't improve enough to come back this season, he might need the same surgery he got next offseason, in which case I don't feel confident about a Starling Marte return to any sort of form that he's had in the, in the past. Um, I, I would like to see it. I, I hope he makes it back, but I'm also 
I don't know that I have much faith in him being anything more than a shell of him, his former self. Because once once an injury like that happens and it takes this long to rehab and return from it at the age of 34, 35, it's for a player where speed is kind of his thing. I don't know how good he's going to be when he comes back. Yeah, it sucks. He was he was so good out of the gate with the Mets. He was everything that uh, the Mets signed him for, and to see him suffer through so many injuries is that's that's really tough. But I I agree. I don't think any Mets fan should really count on Starling Marte's return, and I think the Mets should probably plan for a Marteless future. Yeah, he. You talk about oh, who's the fourth outfielder going to be? There's a semi decent chance I think Starling Marte is the fourth outfielder next year, which is not great, but I I I don't think that that's a non zero. I think it's a you know decent possibility. Yeah, especially if the Mets are not hard competing in 2024, I, I don't think that's a bad outcome. All right, and the last point we are going to hit at. The trade deadline, when the Mets sold off a lot of their valuable players, they were seven games behind in the wildcard standings. As of Monday, September 4th, Labor Day, the Mets are seven games behind in the wildcard standings. They have experienced zero movement forward, zero movement backward. In a really interesting NL wildcard race, as of right now, there is a four-way tie for, I guess, both of the second and third spots in the NL wildcard. But... The Mets and the Nationals seem to be in a dogfight for last place, kind of, I guess. So, like, what should we expect from the Mets over the next three weeks? I I have no clue. Did we expect DJ Stewart to be doing this? I, I have no idea what they're going to do. It would be really, really, like, Mets of them to to sell off, do a tank, and then end up just shy of that lottery draw, get like the seventh or eighth pick, and then have to pick 17th or 18th instead of getting a, a locked-in top six pick. It would be so incredibly New York Mets of them. On the one hand, I I, I would feel a little bit giddy at that prospect. The, the pro-labor anti-tanking fan in me sort of wants that outcome for the 29 other teams in major league baseball to experience but i don't know if i want my own baseball team to, to have that sort of pie in their face but like yeah it would be super mets of them to give full starting spots to david peterson and tyler mcgill only to see them actually pitch like major league starters it's it's so it's so baffling that they have done like there's been no movement and the funniest part about that is after the trade deadline, that week after, they didn't win a single game. And then they're just stuck in this cycle of like losing some games and then winning some games. Why did we win a series against the Seattle Mariners? What is happening? Especially since like the Nationals aren't playing that badly right now. Like the we a lot of Mets fans lamented about how many games uh the Mets lost against the Nationals early in the season, but uh, the Nationals are like 10 games over 500 since the All-Star break. Like, they're playing like a good baseball team, but no movement yet. This this season is so confusing for every single team. I've never been so baffled by a baseball season. Yeah, um, this baseball season is so baffling that with our next break, we're going to come back with some basketball. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. And we're back. Um, So we were talking about this a little bit before we went on air. Um, Come the end of the regular season, which in a way we've already ended the regular season. um, But there is technically four more weeks of baseball um what what like there's not going to be a ton of news to cover there'll be general baseball news playoff news but there's not going to be as much are we going to pivot to a different sport perhaps the uh wnba will have playoffs through uh right near the the i believe the third week in october is the last week that they're going to have playoffs and as a new as a podcast based around a new york sports team um the best new york sports team this year is far and away the new york liberty who just won their franchise record 30th game in a season yesterday yeah i i don't exactly know what the state of this podcast will look like of during the off season and because both of us have shown an interest in basketball, I do think it is worth exploring what dedicating a segment to basketball would look like. I don't know if our fans would care for that, but also who cares? Like we'll get some feedback and we'll pivot. Like it doesn't really matter. But yeah, the the Liberty are the hottest ticket in town right now, and they're they're heading towards the playoffs with a pretty decent chance of winning it all. Would you say? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, right now. They're kind of fighting it out, surprisingly, because I think at the start of the season, everyone had the Las Vegas Aces kind of locked in for the number one seed. And especially the first, I was watching the game yesterday, in the first nine games of the season, the Liberty were six and three. And everyone was like, oh man, this super team, it's not working out. Since then, they've gone 20 and four. Um, they are currently, I believe, a game and a half out of the first seed. And I think that if the Aces lose one game and Liberty win out, they have the number one seed. They are far and away, by my ability to tell, the best team in the W right right now. I mean, they've they won this week. They've Since we last recorded, they've played three games. They beat the Aces. They beat the Sun by like 30 points who are the number three team. And then they beat the Sky, Chicago Sky, who they were sort of going back and forth with. The Sky are fighting for a playoff spot, so they're they're hungry. They were going back and forth in the game. And then the Liberty just ripped off a 22-0 run and win the game handily. This team is unstoppable in a way that's thrilling and insane based on watching them at the start of the season and seeing very clear flaws that they have just closed they've played the last two games without their number two best player Sabrina Inescu she's been out with a right calf injury sort of fatigue just rest situation and they've won both those games by 30 points and then close to 20 points they're a machine at this point and I I if they have the feeling of a team that wins it all especially since their games with the aces over the last month the aces have been showing some deep frustration against the Liberty in the way that the Liberty are not showing against the Aces. 
So for those that don't understand the WNBA playoff structure, like me, for example, can you explain how the Aces in the Western Conference and the Liberty in the Eastern Conference have interdependent playoff seeding? How does that work? So because there's so few teams in the WNBA, there's only 12 teams and eight of them make the playoffs. Once you get into the playoffs, the conference stuff doesn't really matter. It's just who wins the most games. That's how they seed one through eight. So right now the Liberty are seeded number two. The Aces are number one. Um, and then once it once it comes down to it's very complicated. I It's simply because there's 12 teams. If there were more teams to have more teams in a conference, then they would seed more. But at this point, it's like, okay, do we really have the ability to do like a playoff where four teams in the West make it and or six teams in the West make it and then two make it from the East. And it's a really weird structure. So you're in the New York area right now. I'm not. And so I don't have a good understanding on the impact that the Liberty is, are, what, what verbs are we using for <laughs> For, for teams that don't end in S. Um, the New York, I would use R. It's a group of people. I, I think I think generally the wisdom is R, but I, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I'm an English major. Um, what what sort of impact uh, are the Liberty having in the city, in, in the area? There's definitely, this is a basketball town, so people are really invested. You know, this is a especially like going to games and stuff like that, you see it in and around the stadium. I mean, this is the, you know, there's Brianna Stewart billboards for her shoes and stuff like that. It's just, there's definitely an impact here that I think teams and like, not to, not to knock the Indiana fever, but the Indiana fever just got knocked out of playoff contention. So I guess I can knock them. I'm going to guess that the Indiana fever probably don't hold the same cultural cachet in Indiana that the New York Liberty hold here because it, I mean, the other hand is also the New York Liberty have five of the best players in the league right now. Easily. How much, how, how much of that is just good roster building? How much of that is, is WNBA coordination a la the way MLS feeds certain players to certain teams to, to get more interest in the league? So the the W has a hard cap. Um, so the Liberty can't afford to just pay everyone as much as humanly possible. They actually have to construct the roster. Um, you could compare them to, I think, the, comparing the two super teams, as it were, the Aces and the, the Liberty. The Liberty have good roster construction in a way that they're 1 through 11. Because you can have up to 12 players, but... If you're paying your players more, you're only going to have 11 players on the on the team. Their 1 through 11 is so well constructed that their 11th player, who is either Han Shu or Jocelyn Willoughby, depending on the day, is a positive contributor to the team. The Aces bench is incredibly shallow because they pay... I mean, and it's good that they're paying their players a ton, but also because they've decided to not value that part of their team. So you're running into scenarios where their starters really can't take breaks all that often. Candace Parker got hurt, and it's thrown a real wrench in their plans, where now Kia Stokes is their starting center. And Kia, I don't think I've ever watched Kia Stokes make a basket this year, which is concerning. 
Um, meanwhile, the, the Liberty have John Quell Jones as their center and she is routinely getting double doubles. Like it's, I think the Liberty valued good roster construction and got everyone to buy in, in a way that they could afford to do it. That they got Brianna Stewart, one of, if not the best women's basketball player right now to sign for Thirty-five dollars to $40,000 less than she could have gotten. To get Courtney Vandersloot to sign for thirty dollars to $40,000 less than she could have gotten. It's very impressive. This this sounds very Miami Heat-like, getting superstars to take a little less money to, I, I guess, not just you know play for a good team, but also play in New York and play in front of um, a, a passionate fan base, play for, for what I've heard is an owner that genuinely cares about the success of this team. Yeah. Uh, so the Sais, who also own the, the Nets, Joe Sai and Clara Wusai. Clara Wusai is, is, seems to be taking more of the, the hand on this one. Um, they're, they seem to be incredibly good owners to the point that they were, when they were trying to get Courtney Vandersloot and Brianna Stewart to sign to the team, they were flying over to Turkey to talk to her to show that they were committed to this team, everything like that. And they've given uh, Jonathan Kolb, who's the GM, as much latitude as he needed to make any sort of maneuvers. This is the, These are owners that got a fine of $500,000 from the league, um, which also the league talked about folding the franchise because of a charter flight service that the, that they were, the owners were using for the Liberty, which is technically against league rules. They're not supposed to charter flights. Um, and Joe Sai turned around and basically said, well, what if I work out a deal for the whole league to get free charter flights for the next five years? And in that time, we can work out a longer term deal. He's not just committed to the team. He's committed to the league. The league then turned around and said, no, we don't want to give them charter flights because what if they get used to it? Which is <laughs> insane. Um, but yeah, these are owners who really care. They're, they're constantly at the games. They're constantly going out and, and, and you know, being front facing owners in a way that's not dissimilar to the Mets and the Cohens. The Liberty are looking for their first WNBA championship. It appears that's, that's pretty shocking. They have never, they've been around. They are the only original franchise. This, this league started 27 years ago. The only original franchise to never win. Um, they made a bunch of finals back in the early days when they were, they had Rebecca Lobo and Teresa Weatherspoon and all those great players. And they just ran into the Houston Comets, who were also incredibly good to the point that they won four straight championships. But they've they've never won. They went through a bad. You, you have to understand that before the the size on the Liberty, James Dolan on the Liberty. So <laughs> that was the the issues that they were dealing with. And um, they went through a period of like trying and trying and never quite making it. This this feels like their best chance and it, it, the most exciting part is they have Courtney Vandersloot at least another year they've extended Sabrina Ionescu they just extended Kayla Thornton and they, John Quell Jones is talking about wanting to stay Brianna Stewart hasn't really said anything definitively but she really wants she I think that there's a clear if you if you pay attention to the signs it does seem like she wants to stay here in New York where she's from this could be not just their first championship. There's a chance if they can keep this team together. This is the makings of a New York dynasty. As an outside observer, someone who is not in this 
seen every single day. It's always really exciting when there's high level basketball being played in New York. And it's not just the Knicks experiencing a modicum of success. It's the Big East tournament. It's the Nets. It's high school basketball. It's the Liberty now. And I, I'm excited to see uh, where this this can go, um, how how big the team can get in New York City. And as it so happens, the NBA team that I support is inextricably linked with the Liberty, the Brooklyn Nets, who are not as interesting as the Liberty or won't be as interesting this season anyway. But perhaps we have to figure out how to insert some more Nets and, and Libs talk in, in this in this podcast, maybe a Flatbush is burning, Barclays is burning. I don't know what we're what we're gonna name this. Yeah, I mean the basket the men's basketball team I support is the Chicago Bulls. So it's nice to watch good basketball every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, I'm not feeling bad for any Bulls. <laughs> I mean, I was born after that run, so I've never seen them really be consistently good. That's a good point. Well, uh, we're going to take a break with our basketball talk and talk some more baseball. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back. So there was a lot of baseball news over the past week, but the news that piqued my interest more than any other didn't have to do with the waiver wire. It didn't have to do with the wild card race. It was more a procedural announcement from Major League Baseball, uh, who announced that the playoffs would utilize the same pitch clock rules and the same pitcher disengagement rules that the regular season has been experiencing for the first time. And I didn't know whether this was going to happen or not, because there have been recent rules changes that Major League Baseball has made that they have declined to include in their playoff format. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested by this move because it seems to be a popular decision, but I also think there might be some unintended consequences from from this decision. Um, but first, I'm curious, Grace, how, how do you feel about seeing the pitch clock in October? So I think I think that there's two sides to this, and I can see both sides, where one is you want to let the moments breathe. You want to let the 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 drama and the 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 game. You want to give it its time to go through. And I love playoff baseball. It's super fun. Um, at the same time, playoff baseball games are usually much longer than regular baseball games when both don't have the the pitch clock. Um, and it will be nice to not have like four and a half hour playoff baseball games where there's a million, you know, times at the plate and, and people adjusting and stuff like that. And it, these players now have grown somewhat used to the pitch clock and, um, I don't know what it would do to their rhythm to take them out of that, that used to that, that routine, if you will. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think they could probably, then they're not going to do this, but they could probably 
make the pitch clock a little bit longer for the playoffs. It wouldn't, I don't think that would do any harm, but at the same time, you know, Major League Baseball is going to Major League Baseball and do whatever the hell they want to do anyway. Yeah, I I know that MLB, when they instituted the the Manfred runner, very explicitly said that this was not going to be included in the playoffs because a rule like that would feel so strange in the highest level of games. But I think you you're correct in the sense that maintaining continuity from the regular season to the postseason is really important for pitchers especially. However, I also think that pitchers might welcome that more time between pitches, especially when playoff pitches being thrown are at 110%, whereas, you know, regular season pitches being thrown are at, you know, 90 to 100% of, of what they are capable of. And I also think that from a television product perspective, Major League Baseball doesn't necessarily need to worry about fans clicking out of the game if it's running a bit too long because these are playoff games. They're high intensity. They're, there's so much entertainment value in the playoffs that like people will sit around and watch an 18-inning Seattle Mariners <laughs> playoff game because it's just that engrossing. And so from an entertainment standpoint, I don't really understand why Major League Baseball would continue with the pitch clock considering that they, you know, didn't put in the the Manfred runner uh, for the playoffs. But I, I think your point about continuity is the one that makes the most sense. There's no reason to act, ask pitchers to pitch differently for these games just because, like, you can fit in more commercials in a longer game. You know, your point to to people not not being afraid of people clicking away, I think, and this reminds me a lot of um, what they do with the Oscars every year, I think the fear for, I think what MLB is thinking about and whether or not they should be thinking about this is another thing. I think that what they're thinking is how do we get people to want to watch our playoff games who don't really watch baseball? And if it's shorter, they're going to want to watch it more, which generally isn't true. The best way you get people to watch what you put on is if it's good, Mm. not if it's long or short. Um, But this is something the Oscars have been doing for years, which is how do we make this shorter? And every time they try to make it shorter, they make it longer. So uh, like, like you said, I don't think, people are going to want to click away from the 18-inning Seattle Mariners playoffs game because it's interesting and it's it's wild and it's super fun to watch. People are going to want to click away if it's super boring, if nothing's happening. But that the MLB really can't, unlike the Oscars, really can't control what happens in the game um, other than what if we put arbitrary time limits on everything. I think people forget that the first playoff game last season – um, the 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 first non wild card game anyway I think was Guardians Rays and it was like a sub two and a half hour playoff yeah. game and everyone was like this this is great but also no one remembers that Guardians Rays series because <laughs> it wasn't wasn't really that impressive it wasn't that entertaining yeah I mean the real the real way you win is getting really fun and entertaining teams in and not teams that are just like well oiled boring machines. I agree. I agree. And with that said, like I, I do think these MLB playoffs are going to be pretty entertaining, not necessarily because we're going to see some high-level baseball. I genuinely think there's like 
two good baseball teams playing good baseball right now, and they just finished a series in Los Angeles. We're going to see a, a, a big old mid-off in, in the National League and perhaps in the American League as well. I, I have no idea like who's going to come out of these playoffs, and that's really fun. As someone who loves a narrative, I'm really excited for all of the American League teams that have barely sniffed the playoffs in the last however many years. I want to see the Rain. I mean, obviously, I want to see the Rangers in there. I want to see the Mariners in there. Can't wait to see the Orioles in there. I want teams that have been historically bad the last however many years. I want them in there because that would make me happy. Any one of those three teams making it to the World Series would absolutely blow my mind. Who is going to pitch for Baltimore, who is going to pitch for Texas? All of the pitchers are in Seattle, and Seattle can't hit. I, I don't. Uh, are you ignoring Baltimore ace Kyle Gibson? Oh, forgive me. My, <laughs> my apologies to the Gibson family. <laughs> do you have a movie for us this week? I do. I I teased this a little bit last week that I was waiting. I was saving something for this week. So this week I have two movies. It is a single filmmaker double feature. Um, so the first one, uh, the older of the two came out in 2021 when the theaters were still sort of closed. So I watched this, um, at home on my TV. I rented it. I rented it, watched it once, and then immediately went back to the beginning and watched it again. That's how much I loved this movie. Um, it's called Shiva Baby. The director is Emma Seligman. Uh, this movie's like an hour and 17 minutes. The way I'm about to describe it, I know you're not going to want to watch this, Christian. It is an hour and 17 minute funniest panic attack you'll ever watch. It is the main character who's played by Rachel Sennett um, is a girl who's in this sort of like sugar daddy um, relationship sort of situation with this guy. She goes to the Shiva for her family, uh, like a family friend. And she gets there and her ex is there, played by Molly Gordon, who I love. She was in Booksmart. Um, and then also there, another friend of this family is uh, the sugar daddy and his wife and their child. Uh, and it's just basically the growing uh, anxiety and and confusion of this situation. And she's trying to get through it and get out of it. And nothing goes right. It's hilarious. This movie is some of the funniest lines, some of the funniest bits I've ever seen. Hour and 17 minutes, you're in and you're out. Um, it's on HBO, not HBO Max, on Max. Uh, I highly recommend this. I've seen this so many times. I just got to see it in a movie theater. It plays incredibly well. Uh, yeah, so that's my first recommendation. And then my second recommendation tied to this one is newly in theaters. I just went and saw this Thursday. And that's Emma Seligman's follow-up film, Bottoms. Um, this, this movie is a fever dream. It's a uh, lesbian high school <laughs> fight club movie. <laughs> it's bizarre. Um, it, it's as far out as... Uh, it's almost completely unmoored. That's how not grounded it is at times. But the performances keep it grounded. The two main characters are Rachel Sennett again and um, Io Edabiri, who's on The Bear. Um, they're two losers in high school who decide, you know what we're going to do? Well, Rachel Sennett's character more than, than Iowa DeBerry's character. They decide we're going to start a fight club so that way we can get with the cheerleaders that we've had crushes on for forever. Mm -hmm. And hijinks ensue. 
and the supporting cast is great. Um, one of my favorite members of the supporting cast was the only teacher you ever really see in the movie, played by Marshawn Lynch, who is hilarious in this movie. Um, there's just, it's wild. It's basically every high school movie you've seen with the tropes turned to 11 and flipped on their head. Multiple bombs get made. Um, the high school mascot has a gigantic dick. Um, it, it's wild. And again, so many funny lines in this movie. I'm gonna go see it again this week. And I'm probably gonna go see it again and again and again because I have friends who want to see it. I have friends who've already want to see it who want to see it again. This movie is going to be a cult classic, if not just an out and out box office success regular classic. I have a couple of observations about Bottoms, which I have not seen and not sure if I'm planning on seeing. Um, a friend of mine uh, watched Bottoms. This my my friend named Sean. He is six foot six. He is a straight white cis male. And I asked him how was Bottoms, and he said it was really weird. And <laughs> that 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 was a very interesting response that I got from someone who has a very open mind about. Uh, entertainment and movies in general, but it it, it definitely had a, a big impact in, on him. And the second was uh, Marshawn Lynch. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's the he's the teacher. He is hilarious. He's also the club advisor for the Fight Club. Um, it, it's it's it is it's really weird. It's one of those. I knew it was going to be this weird going in. I had read about it, seen the clips, everything like that. It took me a solid five to ten minutes to find the wavelength it was on but once i got on that wavelength i mean it killed in the theater it, like it just people were losing it i think that this is this is going to be if it even if it is a box off success it's going to be a cult classic of sorts because it's so odd it's it's genuinely it's one of the weirdest movies i've ever seen in the best way possible where like they're just killing people in this movie. But, like, are there stakes? Yes, but it's not the murder. It's will they get with the cheerleaders? That is a little different from Fight Club. Um, <laughs> I, I I have to admit, you've piqued my interest with this one. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find some time this weekend to, to take a look. It, it's, it's another really short one. It's like an hour and a half. Nice. Very nice. I, I like how you just always include the, the time <laughs> of movie because, yeah, that, that is a huge selling point for me. Yeah, I listen, I love a four-hour movie. I went and saw Oppenheimer for the third time in theaters this week in 70mm IMAX. Runtime means nothing to me, but I know for a lot of people that is, if it's short, it's a selling point, so I will include it. Nice. Very good. Well, um, before we take off for the week, I think it's worth it to plug Dollars for Dingers, a uh, charity event that is hosted by our friends at A Pod of Their Own. If you're not listening to A Pod of Their Own and you're listening to this podcast, what are you doing? I don't. That I don't know. The Venn diagram should should really overlap very strongly with with us too. Anyway, uh, Dollars for Dingers is a fundraiser that ties people's donations with Mets home runs hit in the month of September. All the money goes to the domestic violence hotline. It is a very noble fundraiser that uh, that pod puts on. So I highly recommend people check out. Uh, a pot of their own on Twitter for more information and feel free to put some money towards Mets home runs. I believe they've already raised over a thousand dollars for the cause because DJ Stewart can't stop hitting <laughs> home runs. 
the other fun thing about this um, this fundraiser is that there, you know, you put in your name and your contact information on a spreadsheet that they've made, and you can also customize your donations. Where yes, you donate a dollar, however much you want to donate per home run. If you're feeling extra generous, you want to do two dollars, four dollars, ten dollars per home run, go for it. But you can just do a dollar. You can do whatever. You can also specify. Okay, when this player hits a home run, I'll donate two dollars. When this player has you know, a strikeout, you know, if this pitcher gets five strikeouts, I'll donate 50 cents per strikeout, you know, whatever you can, you can customize your donation around players that you really like, or situations you really want to see. I have mine set up so that I will donate an extra dollar or $2 for every Brooks Raley blown save in the month of September, because that's important to me. Very nice. Very nice. That's very clever. I have to say I, I was going to customize mine, but I, I, I put in my donation on on a mobile phone and Google Sheets does not act very nicely uh, on iOS. And, and so it tried to get me to input numbers on the part where it said custom. And I'm like, no, I need letters. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I can't be using numbers, but you know, whatever. Yeah. So I will, um, by the time this by the time this episode comes out, I will actually retweet their tweet with the spreadsheet and all that information because I know that they have, I believe, a thread or at least one tweet about the the spreadsheet and the the fundraiser. And then at the end of the month, they do um, on September thirtieth, I believe, they're going to be doing like a in person raffle as well for various different items, bobbleheads, uh, DVDs, autographed items, special stuff like that. Um, if you can make it, it's at Ebbs at City Field. If not, I know that the they usually have a couple of items that are like the big ticket items that they'll also do online raffle tickets for as well. All for a very noble cause. Grace, before we take off, do you have anything else to add? Nothing other than our usual stuff, which is follow us on Twitter at FIBpod. Like I said, I will be reposting the um the tweets from them about their their fundraiser um follow us on instagram at flushing is burning pod and you can email us at flushing is burning at gmail.com um yeah it's great to hear from you guys and and of course subscribe to the patreon as well if you go to homerunapplesauce.com you can find all the information for that as well you'll get exclusive content special episodes from the other podcasts like we said you're probably listening to at least a pod of their own if you're listening to us because the overlap is probably considerable um there's also access to a discord server which we've been a little unactive on i'm trying to get a little bit better about that at least posting with new episodes any sort of information like that uh yeah and thank you for listening God, you're getting so good at this already. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm used to repetition. Now it's like muscle memory. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next week. See you next week.